morning, good morning, good morning. Happy Easter to everyone. Hope your day is uh, starting out well as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I want to just do a brief announcement time, and that is this. Uh, First, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Church from God's Word and serve each other as we proclaim the gospel to our city and to our community. So I want to welcome you. If you have any questions about our church, we'd love for you to fill out the Connect card that you got on your way in. You can put that in our offering boxes, which are right outside these two doors, and, uh, or put it at our information table. We'll be glad to follow up with you uh, about our church and any questions you might have. We also pray for all the prayer requests that you put on those prayer cards. Uh, so please, please indicate those as well. Uh, Before we get started, I'd ask you to stand with me one more time after a brief little sit. Uh, We're going to read some scripture together, and we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm reading verses 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Let me pray for us. Father God, we stand in honor in respect of your glory, your matchless grace and mercy, that you would send your son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to teach us perfect truth, to die a horrible death on a cross, and to be resurrected from the grave. There is no hope apart from you. I pray today that some of us who are here, and maybe we are here after a long absence from the church, maybe we're here after having never been in a church, maybe we're here as skeptical, cynical Christians who have believed in vain that Jesus rose from the grave. Pray for all of us, wherever our hearts are, you would speak to us, you would introduce us yet again, and have us remember yet again that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. You've heard the saying, I'm sure, that the more things change, the more they stay the same. The more things change, the more they stay the same. We are a curious people as uh, as human beings. We are always looking for answers And we go to great lengths in our lives to experience personal peace and happiness. If I were to have an honest conversation with each one of us in here, we would admit to the fact that our lives are striving for personal peace and happiness. And there is a great proverb in the book of Ecclesiastes that reminds me of this truth. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9. It says this, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. We chase after personal peace and happiness, and yet Scripture 
God himself indicates to us that there is nothing new under the sun. We see this truth written thousands of years ago, and yet we still chase after things hoping they will give us personal peace and happiness. Now, the Christian view of this chase is that we were all created in the image of God to, excuse me, to worship something, and we end up worshiping created things instead of the creator who made us. That's Romans chapter 1. We have within us uh, uh, the desire to worship, and we take that desire to worship, and instead of worshiping the God who made us, the God who sent his son to die for us, we worship instead created things. We believe that we know what will bring us peace. We believe that we know what will bring us wholeness. We believe as humans that we know that we're created uh, to worship and we worship things that don't lead to God. Instead, God says he knows what will bring us peace. He knows what will bring us wholeness. He knows that we were created by him to worship him. That is the greatest place of personal peace and joy. And that's why we, we indicated earlier as we were singing, uh, someone said that we worship the risen Lord and Savior each and every Sunday as Christians because that is the utmost, most important truth because it will lead us and it was the only thing that will lead us to personal peace and joy. That is the most important truth in the history of mankind. So the sermon's over, we can all go to brunch. Actually, Adam gave me 25 minutes. I'm going to use all 26 of them. So here we go. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul says in this section of scripture that he is going to tell us the most important truth. He is going to tell us what is of utmost importance. What is of first priority. He says this. And before he says it, I I want to set the context. Paul is writing a letter to Christian people. In Corinth, let me describe Corinth to you and see if this sounds at all familiar. It's one of the greatest cities of the era. It was a popular place to live. It was on Forbes top 10 best places to live. People wanted to move and live there. You could get away from your past there. You could get away from the traditions of your family there. You could meet lots of new friends there. And according to the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, we see that the people, the Christian people, the people who were uh, who said they were followers of Jesus Christ, they struggled greatly there. They drank too much. They were sexually out of control. They questioned the truths of scripture because to them it just didn't feel right. Paul says even that the good news that he preached is offensive to people who are perishing. People who are destroying their lives and in despair and headed towards death. The message of Jesus Christ hanging on a cross, dying for sin, resurrected from the grave, coming back to take his people home to be with them and judging the righteous and the unrighteous. That is offensive to people who are perishing. They struggled a lot in this city. They, they came to the city like many people come to any city. They came to find personal peace and happiness. And this is what it boiled down to. Basically, they wanted to live their life for themselves and they just wanted to have a good time. Nothing wrong with having a good time. Nothing wrong 
with wanting to enjoy your life. But Paul says there is a more important, he says the most important truth. And he says to this group of people who call themselves Christ followers, this is the most important truth. And in verse one of this passage, he says that Jesus saves you. And if you hold fast to this truth, you will be able to stand. Um, I don't, I, I was debating whether I would mention this this morning, but there was an article this past week and it was written by a former Muslim who has converted to Christianity. And he said that all the things that humans try to do to curb the problem of terrorism, to curb the problem of what they call radical Islam are fruitless. They will not work. The only thing that will work according to this man who converted from Islam to Christianity is that Jesus saves. It's the only thing that will work. I do not know where you're at today, but not only Jesus saves is all we have. It's all we have to stand on. If you're following anything else other than Jesus, and it might be yourself. It might be your career, it might be relationships, it might be whatever it is that you chase after to find personal peace and happiness. The only place you will find it is in the truth that Jesus saves. I don't care where you're at on the spectrum. Not only does he save, but if you hold fast to the truth that he saves, you will be able to stand. Really interesting, I'm... Um, We started this church about eight or nine years ago. And in the process of starting this church, you got to do a lot of research. You got to read a lot of things. And I continue to do that to understand where is our culture in terms of their belief in Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. And if you look at the statistics, they're saying that Christianity is on the decline in the Western world. And, and actually, if you look further at the research, that is not necessarily true. What is happening in the Western world is you are being challenged to not have a comfortable Christianity, but a true Christianity that follows Jesus no matter what the cost. And that is where Paul, I believe, gets this, this, uh, this mindset that if you uh, believe that Jesus saves you and you hold fast to that truth... You will be able to stand. You will be able to live on a secure foundation. Insecurity and fear are tearing our world apart and are possibly, most importantly, tearing you apart this morning. And if that is true, the only thing that I can give you, because I've read it in Scripture, and Paul is going to talk about Scripture a lot in these four verses, the only thing that I can give you is Jesus saves. Now, for those of us um, who, who feel like the world and insecurity and fear and not living on a secure foundation is tearing us apart, Paul goes on to describe um, those people. And some of them are believers that he's speaking to. He says, some of you are, are, are believing in vain. Some of you are living as if what you believe really isn't true. You're living without reason, without result, and for no purpose. Vain, in the original language, means this. Taking your faith lightly, not being engaged with God and his people, and not engaging with his word. It's a life that claims Christianity, but it is a wreck on the inside. 
if you're in that position, if you're in that place this morning, and, and it seems as if things are tearing you apart, that your fear and your insecurity, because you do not trust that Jesus really saves, that he rose from the grave, it all goes back to Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. Now, for all of us, no matter how spiritual we are, how well-behaved we are, or how misbehaved we are, and how unspiritual we are, all of us are in the same boat according to Scripture, and we all can cling to that truth and stand on that secure foundation that Jesus saves, and he has the power to save because he resurrected from the dead. Then Paul goes into this, and he says, this is the most important truth. Now, we, we, because of the information age, we have a lot of truths, quote-unquote, that we are being bombarded with. Um, everything from how to spend your money, to how to live your life, to what clothes to wear, to how to, to believe politically, to how to believe um, you know, economics, whatever it is. There's so much information, and all of them claim to be very important truths. Paul says, looking down through history to us today, he says, forget the information age. There's some truth in there. There's, there's things that we need to know. There's things that we need to learn. But this one truth is not just the most important truth, the real meaning of this. It is the first truth of all truths. And all truths come from this truth. D- does that make sense? That this is the beginning truth. There are no other truths. This is the starting point, And everything that is true emanates from this first truth. So it's really important. This is one of those times where when I was in school and the, and the, the uh, teacher would say to me, Hey, I'm about ready to tell you what's going to be on the test tomorrow. I would usually wake up from my nap. Okay. And I would start scribbling ferociously. The most important truth. Here we go. First thing about it, Paul received it. Paul received it. It is not made up by Paul. What I'm speaking to you today is not made up by me. If I was to make up the most important truth and tell you, it would be something along the lines of everybody should give me half of their income, okay, so I can live in the lap of luxury for the rest of my life. That would be, in my own flesh, my own selfishness, the most important truth. Paul says, I didn't make this truth up. This is what God says in his word. He received it. Uh, At at New City Church, this is kind of old school, what I'm about to say, but I guess sometimes we're old school. I'm only 46. Is that right, Ethan? 46. So I guess I'm getting old school. That's okay. We believe... That the word of God preached, the word of God preached matters. And it's not because the creativity of the preacher, but the person that he points to. If you come here or if you go to a Bible-believing church, they're going to point you to Jesus every Sunday. Go back to the first verse that Jesus saves. That, that is the most important truth. But I want to make this point. Paul received it. He didn't make it up. Second, he talks about the Christ. Now, that's a fancy word. Many of us don't even know what it means. Christ is another word for the Messiah. The Jewish people believe that there is a promised Messiah. Okay? Now, the Messiah, according to Jewish tradition, the Christ 
was not a poor peasant feel-good carpenter that was to walk around the earth giving everybody hugs. That's not the promised Messiah. This is the promised Messiah. The one who would deliver. The deliverer, the promised deliverer is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. What was he to deliver us from? First and foremost, our sin. And only through him are we delivered from our sin. But he will deliver everything back to the Father in a restored perfection that will boggle the mind. He is the promised deliverer. He is sitting currently right now as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when he said, it is finished on the cross, he wasn't just saying, "Uh, I'm about to die. He was saying that he has delivered the world from the power of sin. And eventually he will come back, establish his kingdom forever. He's the Christ. Paul didn't make it up. And he's talking about the promised deliverer. He says that that deliverer died for our sins. Two things. He took our deserved punishment for our rebellion because God's justice towards us was meted out on Jesus. God the Father took out the punishment that you deserve on Jesus, his son. That's one thing, aspect of dying for our sins. Secondly, he put our sins to his account And he gives to our account his righteousness. It's like going bankrupt and going to the bank the next day and some benevolent benefactor put a million dollars in your account after you have squandered it, gambled it away, spent it on prostitute, whatever it is, like the prodigal son in the Gospels, after wasting the inheritance that you've been given, life, In the image of God. And after sinning and rebelling. And that is gone. He gives to you the account of his righteousness. Second, or excuse me. Paul says he didn't make it up. He received it. He's talking about the promised deliverer who died for our sins. He was buried. So-called scholars. Okay, I read a lot. I don't know if I'd call myself a scholar. I went to Rifle High School, so you have to take that into consideration. But I read a lot. You know that the latest quote-unquote scholars, you know what they're saying? (laughs) Jesus fainted on the cross. They considered it, or they looked at it when they saw him fainted, they thought he might be dead. So they yanked the nails out of his hand with his side bleeding from the spear. They yanked the nails out of his feet while he was fainted, put him in a grave, but he never really died. Like I said, I'm from Rifle, but that seems far-fetched to me. When you look at the process of the crucifixion, Jesus was dead. He died. He was killed a torturous death. 
and he was buried. Paul says in saying that he was buried, that he died completely and totally. He didn't just pass out on the cross. Give me a break. That's what we say in rifle. Last, the most important truth, he was raised on the third day. He was raised on the third day. He was raised from the grave by the power of God. And this did two things. It proved he was God. And for us who are constantly seeking personal peace and happiness, it's a promise that those who believe in Jesus Christ will be raised to new life on this planet, forgiven, sanctified, and we will be glorified and have a perfect life with God forever. That's what it means. Now, you say, I say, we all say that maybe we believe in that. If you believe, if you trust, that will drive things in your life, actions in your life, growth in your life. And so Paul says to these Corinthian people in this city who are pursuing everything they can to have personal peace and happiness, and they're pursuing everything other than God, Paul says the most important truth is these things. Paul received this message. It's the first truth of all truth. It's about the Christ, the promised deliverer who died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. Paul says this truth to a group of party animals and intellectual elites and perverts who are looking for personal peace and happiness in all the wrong places. So the question is, and we'll end with this, are you believing in vain And as a result, living in vain, stressed out, sad, despairing, depressed, and and full of doubt in your life. Paul says all these things happened according to the scriptures. He is saying, don't take my word for it. If you're living in vain, don't take my word for it. Remember that God has revealed to us this most important truth. In Romans, it indicates that the creation itself speaks to the existence of God. And all of us have access to the most important truth. The first foundational truth of all truths. The reason why I get really excited at Easter and many other Sundays here is because this is the most important truth. And it's available. It's been exposed. It's been given to every single person. So are you believing in vain? How how could we, how could I just this week struggle with issues in my life that are rooted in my vain belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of God through that resurrection to transform every area of my life? I wanted to do two things today. And first... I wanted to point you to the resurrected Lord Jesus. He is not a king of kings. Okay? You know, if you're in grammar, there's articles in the English language. There's a king of kings. There is the king of kings. The king of kings. He is the Lord Jesus. Jesus. He is the king 
of kings. He is the answer to your curiosity and your misdirected longings of worship where you will never have peace. You will never have happiness unless you begin to and continue to worship Jesus as Lord. So I want to point you to Jesus today. And for those who, you know, may not grace the doors of a church very often, I wanted to say this to you. I want to point you to the scriptures. I was trying to figure out a way to like have a big, you know, balloon float over the city of Denver and have a loudspeaker attached to it and, and just say this thing. Okay. Don't take my word for it. Look at the revelation of God through his word, through the order of creation, through every single thing around us that screams to the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I wanted to like put that out there. Guess what? If you're a follower of Christ, you are the balloon with the speaker. You get to tell people about the risen Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And if Easter means anything to you, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are not taking it in vain. Will you humbly admit to God that the mouth that he has given you and the ability to do the things that he has called you to do, you have not done them. And moving forward, directed by the power of the Holy Spirit, of God himself, who reigns forever and ever, you will be a mouthpiece for the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. Will you look at God's revelation if you are skeptical? Will you look at God's revelation if you are a miserable Christian? Will you look at God's revelation if you are looking for personal peace and happiness in all the wrong places? This is an Easter charge, uh, an Easter, uh, you know, command, so to speak, from our good friend Paul. And it's, it's actually in chapter uh, 15, the same chapter we're in, verse 34. If you want to look at that, this is what Paul says after he goes through the resurrection. I, I love Paul because he can, just kind of puts things in perspective very succinctly. Wake up from your drunken stupor. Now, a lot of us look at that and say, man, I don't drink. I haven't had a taste of alcohol. He's not talking about that kind of drunken stupor. Okay, because Paul says clearly that in your worship of Jesus Christ, you can be so overwhelmed by that relationship, by that love, by that grace, by that mercy, that that you become drunk, so to speak, in the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul's talking about here. Wake up from whatever it is that you're using to medicate your life and try to fill it with personal peace and happiness. Whatever it is, TV, career, relationships, athletic, whatever it is, none of those things bad. But if you're chasing them as the primary truth, as the first truth, the most important truth, you will never be satisfied. Let's wake up. 
from whatever it is that we are using to medicate us, to, to, to guide us into false worship, and let's follow our resurrected Lord and Savior. Amen? Let's have communion. This is the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you, the blood that was shed for you to wash your sins as white as snow. And when you come to this table, before you come, you must be a follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're sitting there saying, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus says? Believe in me. I will make you my child. We believe that Jesus saves people. He changes their heart. He infects them and and comes into them and changes them, gives them new life, resurrects them from their life of sin and despair and gives them personal peace and joy that is undescribable. You can have that today. And if Jesus saves you today, trust that he's done it because he says he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And come to this communion table. Take the bread representing the body. Dip it in the wine or the juice representing the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded of the the historical truth of the Exodus where your people were told to put blood on the doorposts of their houses because the angel of death was coming. And it took a blood sacrifice to save those people from having their firstborn taken from them. It took the blood of your son to deliver us from an eternity separated from the God who made us, who loves us, and wants us to experience a life of flourishing in him. You died for our wholeness. You died to save us. And so, yes, we celebrate the resurrection today, but it means something. Help us not to walk out of here in vain belief after taking the body and dipping it in the wine or the juice representing the blood, that we wouldn't walk out with vain belief. We would walk out with the belief that victory has already been established. You have saved us from the sting of death. Nothing that can come against us will stand if we are in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this day. We thank you for all days that we can celebrate the glorious truth of the resurrection of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.